Welcome. You're listening to the Grow Ortho Podcast, presented by HIP. This podcast is dedicated to orthodontists who want to stand strong in their market and be leaders in their community. Now, on to today's show. So, Michael, uh, thanks so much for taking the time to chat today. Looking forward to having you on the show. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate being on and being part of the party here. Yeah, absolutely. So for those uh, listening or watching who may not know you, just take a moment, introduce yourself, uh, give us your background, maybe even hobbies and, and what it is that you do. Oh, that's a dangerous question when you throw the hobbies part in. But <laughs> um, <laughs> no, you, you know, my uh, my humble beginning started in banking. Um, but today I'm a practice consultant just getting right into it. Um, been in the industry for Gosh, probably about 15 years, which is fairly, fairly young. Um, I'm not one of those old, crusty consultants that's been around for 50 years. And so, um, and that's really kind of the, the philosophy or vision of our, of our company is, you know, we, we, try, to, uh, we try to have new age uh, uh, consulting, uh, bring that to the party. The, the millennials, zennials, you know, tend to be our, our clients. But uh, not, not everybody. We're a full-service consulting firm, um, meaning we help doctors get into ownership. We do a lot of pre-ownership consulting, so starting up and buyer representation. And then uh, we also have um, probably the other half of our clients is helping them grow and expand into new, new worlds, I suppose, just trying to get them to the next level of their of their business. Yeah. So that's, that's what we are today. We, I think we have about four consultants now and uh, we all kind of have our hand in on helping our clients. Yeah. And with next level consultants, I mean, is each consultant uh, within the business specialized or how, how's that work with, with each person and each consultant? Yeah, no, that's, I appreciate that question because um, you know, all of us have had different consulting backgrounds before we joined uh, or, or started this company and came together. Um, we, we pride ourselves on staying kind of in our lane as consultants. And what I mean by that is, you know, when I was out there doing consulting by myself, I kind of stayed in the banking lane cause I, I'm an ex banker and heavy financial, uh, marketing background. And so I kind of stayed in that strategy financials, uh, you know, just business coach, uh, some uh, definitely leadership. But then I realized I couldn't talk to the hygienists or the clinical team very well. I never lived their world. So uh, Paula, my partner, Paula Quinn, she's a hygienist, uh, owns her own practice in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, she's been in dentistry for 30 plus years. She, she, everything operational and clinical is her, her game. And so anytime one of those questions come up, I might have the answer, but I like to defer to the to the expert. Um, so Paula's the other coach. And then um, Stefani is our billing queen. She's our front office guru. And so we quickly found out Paula and I is like, oh, gosh, like, don't don't ask us those insurance claims questions. We, we never lived that world. And so even in all the 30 years that Paula had been in that game, you know, she always got those questions. It was like, oh, gosh, I got to call somebody after this. Right. So we, we pulled in Stefani. And so Stefani's really that that coach. And so. Um, so, yeah, to answer your question, we all kind of stay in our lane. And I think that's what makes us a little bit different is the fact that um, if there's a problem, 
uh, we can solve it. I guess I, th- I think that's a, a good hip hop song. Uh, it's a, it's a good one. So yeah, that's our that's our model. Yeah, leveraging strengths versus uh, being uh, somewhat generalist. I like that. Yep. Yeah. 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 Cool. What are some specific ways you guys help dental practices with leadership and culture? Yeah, you know, um, the the funny thing is, is with all that practical knowledge that I just kind of threw at you there with all of Paula's years and all of my experience as a banker and, and, and strategist and Stefani, like we can get very granular in fixing a problem, right? Like if there's a broken system, we can jump in and fix that problem. But the thing about that is uh, consultants can give you lots of different answers and solutions that, that the problem is uh, having the team adopt that solution and running with it and actually creating change. So to me, leadership is is a huge piece to every consulting firm's uh, toolbox. And I think it starts with, with communication, Luke. I think I think great leaders need to always be improving their communication with their team. Um, uh, Culture-wise, to, to, to add on top of that, we're, we're – we're big fans of leading with transparency and not not holding back on too much with your team. Um, I always say that the analogy is like my daughter when she first started soccer, right? And and everybody can imagine this, right? You, you start coaching and the little ones are running around and they're just clustering around the ball and they're just there's like it's just pure chaos, right? It looks like a ping pong ball in between all the kids. Um, but that was before they got incorporated or they, they were told that there was a goal to all this. It's not just to kick the ball around or to stay in these four lines. It's it's to actually score a goal. And so the minute you told those kids, OK, blue team, your job is to get the ball into that goal. It changed the entire game completely. Right. And so I always say that to my clients is if you're not if you're not leading with some kind of vision and you're not leading with transparency, how in the hell is your team going to help you get into the goal? And I think that's the baseline, right, is leadership and culture and communication and how you deliver that, how you talk about the the challenges of what didn't happen and how you talk about the wins that did happen, celebrating and talking and discussing and trying to always improve. So I think those are the baselines Luke it's that that's a tough question because it's so loaded but I think the the big concept here is is transparency and uh and um great communication yeah yeah I think part of that you know we see this all the time is is getting buy-in from the team a uh orthodontist or dentist will go buy something new we could even say you know signing up with with hip for marketing and the team isn't bought in. And so, you know, there's things that the team needs to do, obviously, and they don't really know why they just know, well, this is just one extra thing. And, you know, we've been through this before you've bought things or brought people in, maybe consultants in and um, they're in and out and they obviously want all this change to happen. But, you know, one thing we started doing is um, presenting to teams after the doctor signs up with us, for instance, and that whole talk with the team is is geared towards them, what we're going to do to save them time, how we're going to make their lives easier, because we realize when we do that and get that buy-in, then things really happen. Um, they adopt the process, you know, and I think that's with anything. 
Um, and you probably see that all the time going in practices. You know, teams can be, oh, here we go again, another <laughs> another consultant. Hard eye know? roll, hard um, eye roll, yep. That, yeah. Exactly. But when you, I'm sure that you guys have a process for that of communicating it well and letting them know, hey, we want you guys to be more successful. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, can I, if I could piggyback on that, Luke, I, I think it's the, the key to it is, is having the team I mean, you're going to introduce a concept or whatever, but it would be great to have the team come up with a solution and leading them to that versus just telling. I think that's the that's that that the big buzzword in consulting is coach versus consultant. And I think we all can be coaches and consultants. You as a marketing firm, us as practice consultants. But like consulting in theory is telling you what to do and coaching is kind of coaching you to to that best place. And we've we've always found that if the team can be a part of that solution somehow, uh, that's always going to be adopted a little bit easier. But yeah, the hard eye rolls are tough, and uh, the consulting consulting is challenging. And even in your world, um, you know, if everybody the, the the owner wants that change, but if they're not willing to lead that change, it doesn't happen. And uh, everybody blames the consultant, but you just didn't listen to him. You paid him all this money, and you didn't even take their advice. <laughs> so it's a, it's a challenge for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's this saying: um, ideas are easy, but execution, I guess, is is everything. You know, you can come up with all the ideas, but um, it you know, typically you need less ideas and just more execution. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Yeah. I saw something on your website and it, it is kind of interesting and stuck with me. It says, you know, you're not a typical consultant. And I was just kind of curious, you know, from your uh, standpoint and opinion, what does that mean to you? Yeah. So you kind of touched on it already. Um, I think a lot of consultants come from a specific background and then that's what they're strong at, right? Like there's so many consultants out there that maybe came from the chair as a hygienist. And that's where they're going to be really heavy in their consulting is hygiene. And um, so I don't want to reiterate what we just talked about, but essentially you really need to understand where your consultant's background was in because that's where they're going to be the most qualified and heavy in their in their approach and in their in what's important to their in, in their program. They're going to definitely be able to cover some a little bit of financials and maybe a little bit of marketing strategy and a little bit of whatever leadership. But you have to really understand where they come from, right? If Tony Robbins was your coach, he's not going to know anything about hygiene, but he might make you a great leader. And if that's the kind of training you want, perfect. Tony's a perfect you know, coach for you. But uh, if you're looking to boost your hygiene, you're, you might be looking for that hygienist um, you know, background. So what makes us unique is the fact that we try to have somebody in every one of those departments that has that background so that if I can't really – coach somebody in a specific area that we can we can bring in a, a specialist in that department. So I think that's what makes us unique. Um, definitely some others that are similar in that way. Um, and so yeah, that's our that's our that's my big uh, push, I suppose, is is understanding every department of the practice and having someone spearhead that. Yeah, that makes sense. And with your banking background, I see that you've been a part of a lot of startups. I think I saw on your website 300 startups. So talk about that specifically. How have you helped with those practices? Yeah, so startups and acquisitions um, are 
a huge piece of, of our game. Um, we actually have our own podcast that you guys should definitely check out. Maybe maybe we can add it to the show notes, but specifically about startups and acquisitions and the process of both of those start to finish. Um, and that's what that program's all about. But yeah, over I think over 500 that I've helped in my career get into ownership, whether startup or acquisition. Um, both of them are very unique in their own in their own ways. Of course, startup, there's tons of advantages there where it's your your team, your location, um, fresh marketing ideas, uh, great lease. Uh, the banking structure is really awesome. They can graduate payments, just kind of give you that that the right uh, uh, launch pad, so to speak. Um, you could screw up a lot more in a startup, meaning you could implement something. It could be terrible and you could quickly cut it. It's not going to be devastating to your business. You don't have to be the fastest producer or, or the, the greatest salesperson because, um, because you're not trying to maintain what a seller has already done. And that's a perfect kind of transition to acquisition. Acquisition is also great. Uh, but also challenging acquisition. You got tons of cash flow coming in already. You usually, if you're buying a practice, if it doesn't have a lot of cash flow, you might consider doing startup, not buying a, a crappy practice. But um, you know, an acquisition, it's it's uh, for the most part plug and play. Systems are in place. No systems are ever really like 100%. Of course, so you might have to tweak some things here and there. But for the most part, it's plug and play and your biggest concern and challenge there is maintaining that production and and keeping up with status quo because the minute you start like not doing production wise what the seller is you're you're slowly dying so it's a little bit more pressure to keep things rolling the way they're already rolling and hopefully growing it of course but um but yeah cash flow is the big the big king there so different things and and we help we help clients do both navigate both yeah, with startups, um, you know, one one of the things I've seen, and we actually have started speaking at residency programs just to kind of educate more on the business side. But one of the things I see with someone who comes in, does a startup, blows it out of the water, and somebody who struggles is, you know, for instance, I can think of somebody right now um, that we've worked with, and, and they're somewhat struggling, and they built out the, the best practice you, you would see, you know, beautiful practice, all the technology, um, amazing uh, 3D x-ray machines and big screens on the wall. And then they said, well, you know, I've got $10,000 to, to market. This <laughs> yeah. thing. I know and, exactly uh, where you're heading with this. You know, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's, uh, it's interesting, but that's part of my, my mission is to really educate people on why that's not a good idea. And, you know, going into it, um, you can have the best anything if you don't know how to get that to people specifically for this practice is people in your local area, um, create awareness, um, create saturation, kind of have omnipresence in your, your local market. It's going to be a tough road. hundred you know? percent. I, uh, I love that you're saying this because the, the truth of the matter is, um, you're right. You could walk into just the best practice, beautiful location, all of those advantages that I just said. But um, if you don't have any money to market and get patients in the door, you've got nothing. And um, it's interesting because uh, the today's day and age, time stamping this in you know, mid-2022, construction's out of control. Uh, inflation is, is kind of 
getting crazy, obviously, and, and everything is going up. And we just came off of COVID. And remember all those ships that were parked in the water and we couldn't get anything delivered and just crazy times right now. And so construction is crazy. Labor is really expensive. And so just in general, these projects are costing a lot of money. And so the big challenge is, of course, is the, the startup has to figure out how to build this office and obviously not go crazy on the technology and all of that stuff, um, but to have an appropriate marketing budget. And uh, that, that is that is the key. The other challenge is the banks. I mean, I'm an ex-banker. I, I'll call them out right now. Banks need to figure out how to lend more working capital and marketing dollars and, and hell, even – consulting dollars they they can easily give money to the equipment reps and to the construction and that's because it's a hard asset right and they can collateralize that so it's a very selfish situation there um but what really makes a a, a startup go crazy is is setting up solid uh systems great communication hence the consulting uh a lot of marketing dollars to get people in the door uh, and then, of course, working capital to pay the bills for a few months while we're trying to break even. So working capital is key, is absolutely key. Yeah, for sure. What are some of the other things that potentially startups should just be aware of and maybe look out for? Yeah, I mean, um, my big things are location, 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 <laughs> um, undercapitalization, which we just discussed, um, and um, – Probably not just not going too big right out of the gate. Um, so back to location. So those are my three things. So back to location. Obviously, you need great visibility. It would be nice to have visibility. Um, now, I know a lot of your audience is ortho. So ortho has been interesting. It used to be less retail and you didn't have to be on first and main. But now today, ortho is very much a quote unquote retail game where People understand that ortho, oh, that's an orthodontist. That's where I go. I don't need my GP to refer me in there. So the ortho game's totally different. And pedos, you know, we talked about that, Luke, with, with pedos, same thing. I think people are starting to become way more, um, way more uh, educated about GP versus pedo versus ortho. Endo, perio, oral surgeon, yeah, a little bit different, um, but definitely pedo, ortho, and GP. You could be right on first in May. Now, what what happens is your rent's going to go up, of course, because that's that's high exposure. Um, but so visibility helps. Demographics, of course, there's got to be a need. Don't go in the most competitive markets in the world. I mean, if you do, you better have like you better be Mister or Mrs. Personality. You better be amazing with clients because. Uh, patients because otherwise um, you're going to struggle. And and I've seen that. I've seen someone like, wow, you've got the personality. Just go right in the heart of all that and you're going to crush, right? And then then there's all those clients who are like, you know, you're pretty reserved. Let's let's, you know, let's find a spot that's in dire need for you, you know. And and I think you got to be real with yourself about who you are there. Um and uh, so, so we already talked about undercapitalization. Get enough money because if you don't, you're not even – don't be afraid of the loan because I know loans are very scary, no doubt. But you should be really scared if you didn't take enough for a startup. And we already talked about that. So I'll just leave that one go. 
Um, and then uh, just in general, don't go too big. There's a lot of noise out there with podcasts and the DSO rave right now and, you know, bigger, better and uh, all that. And the truth is, is the, the bigger you go, the more money your construction is, the more money your rent's going to be. Uh, there's just a lot of pressure to do that $2 million practice to justify those expenses. Um, what's wrong with doing a million and a half and four or five ops? There's nothing wrong with that. You're going to make a ton of money. But doing a million and a half in a, in a complex that's 3,000 square feet and you've got all these employees to pay, I mean, that, that life-work balance is really going right out the window. So it's all about vision. I don't want to make anybody's vision up for them, but these are the things that I, that I would really want to deep dive into. Yeah, and with vision, you know, sometimes you have to be realistic and you can't go zero to 100, you know, go zero to 30 and kind of kind of ease into things. And um, that, I think, is a, a lot more practical practical for most people. Um, I know you have a resource or, or probably many resources on your website, but I saw uh, what are the first three steps of a startup. Is that an ebook that listeners or viewers could download and just kind yeah, of learn yeah, more just, about that? Just, it actually takes you to uh, uh, a request form and, and one of our peeps will send it out and it just is kind of like, hey, where do you start with an acquisition? And same with um, acquisition, kind of the first steps of that as well. So. Okay, cool. Now with DSOs, um, you mentioned that, and you know we've got OSOs for orthodontics and, and DSOs who are in dental and, and ortho. Um, that definitely is the buzz. I mean, we're even working with some now, and I didn't really even know anything about them three, four years ago. Um, how do you think that could change the industry? Oh, man, that's a, that's a good question, Luke. I, you know, I've been <laughs> in banking for as long as I've been a consultant. So just split it right down the middle, maybe even a little longer in banking. But um, the there was talk about DSOs 12, 15 years ago. It's not like this is a new idea. It's not. Um, they're They're definitely gaining traction and specifically in certain markets like Arizona, for example. My partner, Paula, she, she owns a practice. She's a hygienist. She lives in Arizona. She can do that there, um, which is super cool that we have that experience as practice owners in, in a lot of ways with her. Um, but I don't know, man. I, I, I just think that it's going to max out at some point. Uh, there's been some people, predictions that Maybe they get up to 25% and kind of max out. I've heard that we're somewhere in the low teens right now, total practices. And again, Arizona's last time I looked at it was like 18%, which is like was the highest at the time. That was a few years ago before COVID. So I, you know, I, I don't know, man. I, I still think private practice is still obviously the, the lion's share. Um, I think we need to protect it, quite frankly, Luke. I, I think um, everybody will agree that private practice is better care for our patients. If if me and you as, as professionals in this industry with everybody else in there, if we can help our clients be better business owners, then they can make great money and have a great life even with the shrinking fees and all that good stuff. Just make them a little bit better business owners and, and they'll be fine. Um, I don't spend too many nights stressing about DSOs. I know how hard it was for Paula and is for Paula 
my partner to own a practice as a non-dentist. I mean, she's she's working with a profitability that's so much smaller um, as as a non-dentist in the practice. I mean, it's I don't know. I just don't see it, quite frankly. And I'll I'll take it one level further. You sell to a DSO, like a Signature or a Heartland, and then those guys could recapitalize and go even bigger to to uh, some venture capital, and they're buying it at even higher prices. I mean, the higher you go, the more it doesn't make sense. And so, I mean, you're working with a 10 to 15% profit margin, maybe even 20% if you're really good, that the DSOs are playing with. It's just not a lot of money there, frankly. There's just not. So I'm just not a big DSO crazy person. Sure, there's some successful ones, no doubt. But I still think private practice is here to stay for a, a, a long while, for, for sure, for my career anyways. Yeah, it's kind of interesting how, you know, you said this isn't really a new concept. And I've heard stories of DSOs back in the day, but certainly I think there's more buzz around it now and probably coming out of a really strong economy with the multiples going up and, um, you know, capital, M&A, realizing how much money is in dentistry and things like that. Um, but I do, I think the same thing. I think it's, it's a phase, you know, and at some point it'll kind of plateau. And a lot of those people who have contracts with DSOs will probably go back into yeah. private practice uh, and start their own thing up again. You know, I, I think it's a buzz now because I think people are like, oh, well, I could make some money. I could get a higher multiple because some dummy's going to buy it for more. So why don't I go and do that and then one, get my money and then I'll jump back in. I, I, I mean, that's the way business people think. So if our do if our doctors are thinking that way, they're better at business than we think they are. <laughs> For sure. Well, it's been great having you. Is there anything else you'd like to share? Yeah, you know, I, I, I reach out. I uh, we're we're a, a culture of um, leading with a with a with hand. Uh, how, how do they say that? Leading with a giving hand. Uh, happy to give you any kind of advice. Do a practice analysis on the house. We give our time. That's what we sell. But we're, we'll give it to you first. And if there's some opportunity to help you grow your practice, take it to the next level, show you where you need help, whether or not you uh, hire us full go or not, um, we just want to help the dental industry. And the cool thing about us is we can do startups. We can do acquisitions. Stefani has a front office program. So if your front office is struggling, we could carve out just a front office uh, program. Paula does a hygiene program, so if you just wanted to focus on hygiene, we can do that. So we've got a lot of diversity in our firm, and we're open to any pretty pretty much any conversation. So reach out. Cool. Yeah. Your website's nxlevelconsultants.com. We'll put that in the show notes as well, as well as the, uh, the link to your podcast and complimentary practice evaluation. Uh, Michael, thanks so much for coming on and taking the time to chat with me. Luke, thanks so much, man. It's a pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about HIP or any of the topics in this episode, send an email to hello at hipcreativeinc.com. That's hello at hipcreativeinc.com or jump over to our website at hip.agency.